The first reading is from Genesis, chapter 6, verses 9 to 22. And the second reading from Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 7. Noah and the Flood. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time. He walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide and 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high all around. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle and upper decks. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature in it that has breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you and you will enter the ark with you and your sons, your wife, your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark to all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. Noah did everything just as God commanded. The second lesson is from Hebrews, chapter 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not seen in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. This is the word of the Lord. This year, as a church, we have a little bit of a a theme running throughout the first part of this year, which I think of as that of pilgrimage, not least because we are organising a pilgrimage later in the year. And that made me think that we shouldn't be necessarily having that event as a one-off isolation event. And I thought it would be really good if some of those themes of pilgrimage could come out throughout the year. Because the whole idea of pilgrimage is to journey. And we journey together, we journey in different ways, we journey as individuals, we journey here, but we journey in our communities, in our workplaces, wherever we are throughout the week. And so there's a sense of a shared pilgrimage, but there's also individual pilgrimages and journeys that we go on. And I would love it if when our Canterbury pilgrimage takes place, that we've understood the sense of the bigger picture of journey, that we are all on a journey and that God would like to speak to us. And I just feel that this event is quite pivotal in the life of our church if we take it seriously and if we look at it as the big package. 
if we actually look at what God might be saying to us about our journey, how we might walk further with him, deeper with him, closer with him, and how we might learn from one another and as we travel together, what new things God will show us. So I've chosen a sermon series for the first part up until um, just before Easter called Companions on the Way. Because on pilgrimages, on journeys, we have companions. And if we look in scripture, we see many, many companions. The aspect that we're going to look at, we're going to look at different characters through the Bible. But we're going to look at faith aspects in their lives. So we're not going to look at the whole story of the person. But we're going to look at what, what faith aspect do we see displayed in their life. And therefore, what can we learn from them? And I'm hoping that as we go through, we'll almost have a toolbox of different characters in the Bible who we can turn to at different stages in our lives in the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years. And we can think, you know, I'm really struggling with this aspect of faith. But I know a companion on the way. I know someone in Scripture that I can turn to and learn a little bit more from. So there's sort of many aspects to this. It's really good to get into the Bible and to maybe learn about some characters we don't know about. We're starting with an obvious one, but some of the other ones will not be so well known. To widen our understanding of scripture, but also to look at it from this idea of these are my companions on the way. There is nothing that people haven't faced before that I will face. And so to understand that there are people that I can turn to around me, but also in scripture, when I'm at a particular point on my own journey, where either I'm struggling or I'm going deeper or I've got some questions or I'm experiencing something for the first time that I haven't experienced before, to have a way of turning to Scripture is a real gift. So I'm hoping it will give us a little bit of a toolbox as well. So that's where we're going. And today we're starting with Noah. And the theme of faith is this, it's faith and trust. Faith in the sense of having faith in God and trust in God. And like I say, I'm not going to go into the whole story of Noah. And as you hear that read, actually, we could have a whole sermon series on what this story is all about, what is actually going on here. But there's a question I'd like us to think about with Noah. What was it about Noah that meant that he could nail the first nail into the wood, hammer the first nail into the wood? What was it about Noah that meant he took action? Because God was asking him something. God was asking him something bizarre. Here he was in a hot country where there's no floods. And God speaks to him and says, there's going to be a flood and I'd like you to build an ark and give some very clear instructions as to what to do. And we read through the whole thing and yes, Noah does it. And Noah you know, carries this out and we know the story and God saves him and therefore saves humankind for eternity. But Noah, we don't get much of his backstory and what he might be saying to God and, and how long he might have questioned God. Because to actually take action... Is the hardest step. That first thing, going and buying the nails in the wood. The effort and the energy and the impetus to actually take that first step is immense. And we see in Noah a man of faith and trust that meant that he was able to do that. 
two little phrases that really struck me as I was reading this this week. And one is at the beginning um, and one is towards the end. The first is this, and Noah walked with God. And the second is this, Noah did everything just as God commanded. And I wonder whether that gives us insight to what sort of things we need to be thinking about in our own lives. If we want to develop faith and trust in the way that Noah had. We need to walk with God. We need to walk with God so closely that we are hearing his voice that we understand his way and we feel that sense of being called to be involved in something. But it's not enough just to hear it. We've then got to take action. And Noah did everything just as God commanded. And I think that is what we need to take from this. It's really very, very simple this morning. That if we want to develop faith and trust, we need to walk closely with God And we need to do as he asks. And I could just sit down just now. Because that's actually what the message is. But I want to get real about it and get practical about it. Because sadly, life isn't always as straightforward as that. I can look back on my life. And I can see where God has been involved in my life. And where... I can see his hand at work. And sometimes it's years and years after an event. So I remember when I was applying for ordination, sitting in my house in Guildford, and looking back on my life, because part of the journey to ordination is actually reflecting back over your life. And I was thinking about all the different um, things that had happened. And I remembered moving to Guildford, And I remember moving four years earlier to Sheffield. And I remember leaving Edinburgh when uh, we'd been married a couple of years and we had a a baby of 11 weeks old. And we were, um, I always knew when I married Paul that the job he had in Edinburgh was a short-term post and he needed to find other posts. And he got a second short-term post in Sheffield and then a permanent post in Guildford. And you can know that in your head, but the reality of actually packing up your stuff with an 11-week-old baby and leaving your friends and your family and going to England was really quite daunting. And we had good time in Sheffield. Sheffield's a great place, but we always knew it was temporary because it was a temporary job. So it's hard to get your roots down as well. So four years later, we moved to Guildford and we knew that that was going to be a solid move. Still was quite difficult. We moved on the 23rd of December. Um, not a great day to move. And then we, uh, our son, Johnny, the eldest son, started school for the first time uh, the first week in January. So a lot of tension around moving. And I was thinking, my goodness me, all that thing, you know, wasn't God good, he helped us. And then I had this thought, I thought, my goodness me, when I was sitting in Edinburgh, planning my life ahead, which was having children, giving up work, not, run, not returning to work, that was all my plan, God knew God knew where I was going to end up and he knew the environment that I needed to be in to hear the call for ordination. And it blew my mind to think, because I had always thought of God's planning being for Paul's career and our family life. And it suddenly dawned on me that within that, there was provision for me. That he knew where I would end up. He knew what I would end up doing and the different people I'd meet at St. Saviour's. 
And he knew that that would be a place where I could hear a call and be nurtured in that first step of my ministry. And I'd never planned any of that. And that's wonderful to look back and to see God's provision. And that gives me great faith and trust. But I didn't need faith and trust at the time because that wasn't part of my journey. So hindsight is great to look back and think, oh my goodness me, God knew what he was doing and he led me there. That wasn't the situation for Noah. It wasn't a case that Noah did all these things and looked back and thought, oh my goodness. Noah heard a call of something bizarre and way outside his plan and he needed to take action. So my second story of my life is hearing a call and many of you will have heard this before but when I had been ordained and was carrying out my curacy again we have our own plans don't we and my plan was very simple stay where you are no need to move having a great time and there was no need to move there was no sense of anybody saying you need to move and there was a role for me at St Saviour's and I could be greatly fulfilled there and have a ministry there And one day I was on a quiet day on part of my training and I came to Wanish, it happened to be held here, and we had time just to wander around and be with God. And I wandered from Lonsmead over to the church and sat outside the church and thought, what a pretty church. That's easy to think. And I sat on a bench and I very rarely have heard a voice, but I heard a voice say, you could be the vicar here. And I nearly fell off my seat because I wasn't planning on being a vicar. I was planning on staying in an associate's role And I certainly wasn't intending moving. But it was so strong that I knew I had to listen to the voice and note it. And there was nothing to do at that point, which was fine. So I heard the voice. But a year later, I saw the job advertised. And that really threw me. And I thought, I have to do something about this. But it was the wrong time. My curiosity hadn't finished. And I put all these barriers up thinking, well, I can't have heard God's voice because it's not the right time. Took a deep breath and thought, my goodness me, I'm going to have to write to the archdeacon and say, I really think God might be asking me to apply for a job. That was a horrific thought. But before I needed to do that, I got an email from somebody else saying, we're assuming you're staying at St. Saviour's, so therefore we don't need a meeting. But if there was any chance that you might be looking at other jobs, perhaps we could have a coffee. I thought, well, there's my get-in. So I had a meeting with this person who thought she was going to have to persuade me to apply for jobs. And actually, I was saying to her, well, funnily, funny you should say this, but... And she said, oh, that's fantastic. We're really pleased. We think it's right that you apply. And I said, but it's the wrong time. I'm not allowed to apply yet. Um, you know, I'll need to get permission from the archdeacon. And she said, oh, don't worry about that. Just say that I've said it's okay. <laughs> so again, all the barriers threw down. The next barrier was um, my boys and thinking that they would never want to move. And they suddenly said, oh, yes, we'd quite like to move there. Thank you very much. And I could see God's hand at work. But I needed to take steps. I needed to say and put my hand up and say, I think God is saying that. And I can tell you the story and you know that I got the job and here I am. And it looks really simple. The hardest thing about that journey was knowing I'd heard God's voice. But knowing that it might not lead to what it seemed to be leading to. And I could go through a whole upset in my life and end up back where I was. Because that's happened on other occasions. I've heard God's voice, I've followed it, and it hasn't all come through. And that stops me taking that first step. 
Because I know the reality that thinking I hear God's voice isn't necessarily the same thing as hearing it. Hearing God's voice and thinking it's all going to be plain sailing isn't the same thing as having faith and trust. Because it isn't always straightforward. And we have people standing on stages telling testimonies of where it has all worked out. But my life has shown me that, yes, I can tell you two times where it's worked out, but I could tell you a hundred times when it hasn't. And that's why I admire Noah. Because Noah got on and did it. And there was absolutely, at that moment in time, no guarantee that it would work out as we read it in Scripture. Because my life experience shows that that isn't always the case. So therefore, I have to walk closely with God if I'm going to do as he says. Because I need to know that closeness with God if it doesn't quite pan out as perhaps I think it might do. Because if I'm walking with God, the faith and trust means that I develop my relationship with him regardless of the consequences of the situation that I'm in. And in some ways, they're far less important. The times when I have been closest to God is when I have tried to walk with him, following him, thinking, perhaps it might be this, Lord, I'm willing to give it a try, discovering that isn't the way, but deepening my relationship with him as a result. But it's really hard. It is really hard to pick up that piece of wood and to hammer the first nail into it. Once you've done that, you're on a roll. But to actually take the first step is the hardest thing. And what I want to take from Noah is that he was willing to take the first step. And as we start on this year of journey, on this year of pilgrimage, I want to ask you the same thing. What this year is the first step? Because the first step will always be the hardest step. It might be that your first step involves getting closer to God. It might be this is a year of developing a really good, strong Bible study discipline in your life. You may have that already. It may be it needs to be refreshed and changed. Every year I'm pretty good at saying this. It doesn't mean I follow it through. But the first step is the most important. So I, last week, was thinking, what could I do this year? I thought I could maybe do Bible in a year. I've tried that several times, and I might get to March, I might get to July. I've never made it to December. It doesn't really matter. But the first thing I need to do for that is to download the app. Because unless I've got it on my phone, I'm never going to be able to do it. And it was, I can go on walks and be talking to God and saying, yes, Lord, this is what I'm going to do. But I have, actually have to get home, get out my phone, get onto the um, app store, and it's free, download it. Two minutes later, it's there. It's on my phone with access to all the passages there on my phone. Have I done it every day? No. But I have done it sometimes. And I won't do it if it's not on my phone. It might be you need to buy some Bible study materials. There's so many to choose from. We are spot for choice. Or go and visit a Christian bookshop. Sadly, we haven't got one too close here. There's a very good one in Woking. And just stand and browse some books. Because we can have all the theories in our head. I want to draw closer to God. I know how to do it. 
But the first step is the hardest step, actually going and doing that. So maybe this year your first step is to make a decision and to do and make available a way in which you can spend more time in Scripture. And there are so many ways in which you can do that. So many, many ways. The simplest way is to walk into the Selwyn room and on the bookshelves there are loads of books. Study guides and books. Pick one up today, take it away. Maybe your first step is something about your life. Changes that need to take place in your life. We all hear all about new resolutions in January. But what is God saying about your life? Every year I know I should put into my diary time for retreat. And whenever I have a ministerial review, the question that always comes at the bottom, are you good at taking retreat time? No, I'm not. Resolve to do better. Why don't I do it? Because I don't actually open up my diary, phone up a retreat place, make an appointment and put it in my diary. And I keep thinking, oh, I'll do that, I'll do that. And then other things happen. And I think, I can't, I haven't got time to do it. And that's really bad. (laughs) I'm not saying that's a good thing to do. But if I really want to make a serious change to my life and say that, yes, retreat time is important, I need to actually open up my diary and pencil out things in my diary. Maybe you need to score through your diary for time with God, time with family, time for relaxation, time for leisure. Paul and I are getting better at setting aside days when we'll go down to Dorset because that's a place where we can really relax and spend time together. And our aim is to try and do it once every six weeks. I can't tell you a year where we've managed that. So we did last week open up our diaries and we've penciled through to at least a time the occasions when we can do that. Because unless we do that, it won't happen. The first step's the hardest. And the benefit for Paul and me to spend some time away together and to have some walks. Living next door to the church means you don't always switch off. So being away means we switch off. And it makes a huge difference. But if we don't pencil it into the diaries, it doesn't happen. What is God saying to you about your life? What do you need to do as the first step to be able to grow in who you are with him. So many ways, so many things, so many exciting things that can happen. The first step is the hardest. But unless we take that first step, we will not develop our faith and our trust in God. Because it's only when we're walking with him and seeing him at work in our lives that the joy of knowing that we are in that right place just fills us and flows through us. I want to finish with a poem called For a New Beginning. In out-of-the-way places of the heart, where your thoughts never think to wander, this beginning has been quietly forming, waiting until you are ready to emerge. For a long time, it has watched your desire, feeling the emptiness growing inside you, noticing how you willed yourself on, still unable to leave what you had outgrown. It watched you play with the seduction of safety and the grey promises that sameness whispered, heard the waves of turmoil rise and relent, wondered, would you always live like this? 
than the delight when your courage kindled and out you stepped onto new ground, your eyes young again with energy and dream, a path of plenitude opening before you. Though your destination is not yet clear, you can trust the promise of this opening. Unfurl yourself into the grace of beginning that is at one with your life's desire. Awaken your spirit to adventure. Hold nothing back. Learn to find ease in risk. Soon you'll be home in a new rhythm, for your soul senses the world that awaits you. I pray that this year will be an adventure for us all, and that we will dare to dream and to step out into new possibilities, and we will let God do all the things he has in store for us as we dare to take that first step. Amen.